0: We're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27, as we continue in our study of the book of James. Uh, I have a, just a little confession to make about my younger days. When I was in my 20s, for the most part, I didn't really uh, perform routine maintenance on any of my vehicles. Uh, I have to admit, part of it was I just never really understood the importance of regular oil changes and regular tire rotations. Part of it was that, I'll admit, there was a little little piece of me that maybe felt that car maintenance was sort of a scam perpetrated by shop owners just to try to keep you sending money. Their direction. Now, I realize there's a couple of uh, car shop owners in the room, so let me clarify. Uh, I don't think that anymore, but I did once believe that, and, and like any profession, if we're honest, there, there are a certain uh, number of uh, car shop owners that uh, perhaps milk you for all that you're worth. And so I didn't take my cars in a whole lot. Now you may be thinking, didn't that result in damage and problems with your cars? Uh, yes, it did. Quite a lot. Uh, I had one vehicle that because I didn't change the oil often enough uh, it developed multiple leaks in the engine and so and I'm not making this up I would actually keep several quarts of oil in the trunk of my car and I would just whenever it ran out of oil I would just pour more more oil into the engine now I know you may think that probably costs more over the long run than simply taking it in for oil changes again yes you're correct costs more in actual oil, and it costs more in wear and tear on the car, which died a lot quicker than it would have otherwise. I had one vehicle, uh, my brother and I went on a long road trip, and before we went on that trip, he looked at my tires, and he said, when was the last time uh, you have rotated or uh, changed out these tires? And I said, never. And he said, I can tell. And sure enough. Uh, On the trip, we had multiple tire blowouts. I had to replace multiple tires uh, in the middle of nowhere, Maine. Uh, And so uh, here's what I learned over the years. Uh, Routine car maintenance is not actually a scam, but it's something that is built into the design of the vehicle. So uh, I found this is, uh, I drive a a Mazda, right? So this is the manual for my Mazda. Uh, This is larger than most theological academic books I have on my shelf, uh, this is like 650 pages, uh, you know, and if you're teaching a kid to drive, at some point they're going to be like, sit down and read through the car manual with your child. We're not going to do this, right? This is This will take the rest of our lives. But what you do want to pay attention to is that, you know, right here in the middle, and you can't see that uh, from where you are, there's a maintenance schedule where they say, here are best practices when you should change the oil, when you should rotate the tires, when you should change the other fluids in the car, and all those types of things. Those things are not written uh, just to inconvenience you, as it turns out. They're written because there is a way that a car works and a way you can take care of it that will result in its uh, best functioning over the long haul. And then there's a way you can neglect it or abuse it that will result in damage and shorten the life of the car. I share that not because human beings are cars, our lives are not that mechanical, but because we are going to see this morning in James 1 that there's a general set of principles in the Scripture, that there's a way God designed you and me to function. And when we live in keeping with God's design, with the values that God laid out in the scripture and the commands that God gave us in his word. When we live in keeping with that, we function best. We live a life that is more likely to flourish, that is more likely to result in harmony between us and God and harmony between us and other people. And James 1:19 to 27 is really gonna help us flesh out this principle very simply that the life of obedience is the life that God blesses. The life of obedience is the life that God blesses. Now of course, we need to define that word blessing really carefully. Because if if you read that with a certain mindset, you might be tempted to think, okay, if I obey God, he's going to give me all that I want. He's going to give me enough money. I'm never going to get sick. I'm never going to die. All my friends will be happy. I will be happy, healthy. My kids will be great. My marriage will be perfect. That's not what blessing means biblically. And we know that because the entire book of James is written to faithful Christians, people who are trying to follow Jesus, but who are enduring trial, enduring difficulty. So the blessing of God in our lives in the scripture does not mean lack of trial. It does not mean lack of persecution. It does not mean that we escape the suffering of this world. That's not what it means. It also doesn't mean that I have to earn my way to eternal life. Eternal life is an absolutely free gift given to us by the grace of God because of Jesus Christ. When we exercise faith that Jesus Christ died in our place for our failure to obey and rose from the dead so that we can have eternal life, we believe in that. We have eternal life as a free gift. So what do we mean when we say that the life of obedience is the life that God blesses? There is a general principle in the Scripture. That when I obey, my relationships with other people, my relationship with God is going to flourish in a way that it will not if I disobey. And James has already laid this out, that sin has consequences that lead to death. We see that in our world all the time. We talked about this last week. Uh, Alcohol and drug abuse, sexual immorality, even anger and, and bitterness, all of these things can harm our relationships and even harm our bodies and lead to death and lead to all kinds of other negative consequences in our lives. So there is a general principle in the scripture that God made us to obey him. And when we obey him, our lives tend to flourish in ways they don't otherwise. But also, we're gonna see in James that we have to take a long view, a long view when we talk about the blessing of God. Here's why James includes this section about obedience right at the end of chapter one. Because these are people, remember, that are enduring suffering. And when we are enduring suffering, if we have aimed to follow Jesus and to be faithful to Jesus, when we are struggling, when the bank account is depleted and our marriage is on the rocks and our kids are in trouble and our health is failing, we might be tempted to say this, what's the point of obedience if I'm gonna suffer anyway? See that, what's the point of obeying God if I'm gonna gonna endure trials Anyway, and so James, right here at the end of chapter one, he says, I want you to understand that the life of obedience is the life that God blesses, but you have to take a long view that that blessing will come, yes, some in this life, but also in the next. When we see Jesus face to face, we will be able to say, I have lived a life trusting and obeying God's word by the power of the Spirit. And yes, that resulted in some blessing now, but it also results in common, commendation from Jesus, praise from Jesus on the day that we see him face to face. So that James says, even in trial, you can trust the life of obedience is the life that God blesses. I think all of us want a life like this, where we say, no matter what happens to me, I wanna be faithful. No matter what trials come into my life, one day I want my kids and my grandkids at my funeral to say, you know, dad or grandpa, he didn't have a perfect life. He struggled just like the rest of us, but he was faithful. And what he left was a, was a legacy, an influence of a faithful life, trusting in God and trusting in God's promises, even when life got hard. That's so much better than them standing up at my funeral and basically saying, you know, he had, a, he had an easy life. That's the best thing we can say about it. But instead, he had a life where he trusted God, even when it was hard. So James says, I want you to take the long view. The life of obedience is the life that God blesses. So, so watch how James is going to walk this out for us. How should we live if we want a life of this type of blessing? How should we live if you want a life of this type of blessing? Start with me in verse 19. He says, this you know, my beloved brethren. All right, that's a transition from the previous verse. And what what is the this that we know? It is that we have been born again by the word of truth, by the gospel. We know that we have eternal life and that the, the word of God and the grace of God has granted us that life. We've been born again. This you know, my beloved brethren. And then he says this. But everyone, all of you, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. So he says, if you want a life of God's blessing, first and foremost, you must listen to God's voice. Now, how do we listen to God's voice? Of course, first and foremost, in the scripture. But we also listen to God's voice through those around us who know him. Who in the midst of our suffering and our trials and our difficulties, they might say, I want to encourage you to follow Jesus. I want to encourage you to obey. I want to encourage you to be faithful, even when it's hard. Here's what James is saying. That when we're in the midst of hard times, we tend to get stressed, right? And when we're stressed, we tend to get angry, that our lives aren't going the way they're supposed to go. When we get angry, what happens? Well, we tend to just sort of, at least a lot of us, we verbally vomit, right? We just start to process out loud, and we blab, and we speak, and we talk about why this might be happening, and why I'm so great, and why I don't deserve this, and why my way to fix it is best, and we stop listening. We stop listening to what God might want to say in the midst of, this difficulty. We stop listening to others. We stop listening to God's word. We stop listening to the voice of the spirit. And instead, we just get angry. We lash out. We speak. We shout. We rage. We yell. And James says, I want you I want you instead to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. He's saying, you can have a stack of Bibles on your shelf, but when push comes to shove, you don't really receive or listen to what they say. You can come to church and hear the sermon every week, but your ears can still be stopped up against what God might want to say to you in the face of your trials, in the face of your difficulties. Uh, Last year, a couple of the other family members who live with me in my house uh, began to tell me that they thought I needed to get my hearing checked because there were times that they would say things and I would say, I'm sorry, what, excuse me, I, 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 I couldn't hear. And so finally I said, okay, I will go and get my hearing checked. I, I said, I think my hearing's fine. I think it's great. Uh, but I'll go get it checked. And if it is checked, then we'll know for sure. So I went uh, to an ear doctor and they ran all of the little tests that they run where you listen to the different tones and you press the button if you hear it. And then they have, you know, little words that they, that they whisper kind of at different uh, volumes and be like, banana, cupcake, right? And, and all these things and like... I'm like, I don't know if my hearing works, but I'm getting hungry, and so I went through this whole test, and the lady at the end, the doctor at the end, she says, actually, your hearing's fine. You don't have any significant hearing loss, right? So I went home in a spirit of triumph and victory, and I said to everybody, my hearing is great, and then they said, well, then the problem must be that you don't listen, <laughs> and my, my victory was very short-lived. You can hear fine. You can have the apparatus. You can have the Bibles on the shelf. You can have the sermons that you listen to all lined up in your podcast app. And yet when push comes to shove, when life gets hard, you stop listening. You stop hearing. So James says, I want you to pause. Stop feeling that you need to justify yourself or rage or argue with God or with others and say, what might God be trying to say to me in this time? So he says, what I want you to do instead, he says, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and with humility, right, not with pride and arrogance, with humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now that's an interesting phrase right at the end here of verse 21. What does that mean? Receive the word implanted. I think James is making reference to the fact that when we trusted in Jesus Christ, not only were our sins forgiven, not only do we have the promise of eternal life, but now the Spirit of God lives within us to give us a new capacity to hear God's voice and obey God's voice. Remember, he had just said, you've been been brought forth, brought back to life by the word of truth, by the gospel, by the good news of Christ's death and resurrection. You've been brought back to life. Now, he says, what you need to understand is that very word that brought you to life through the spirit of God lives in you. So that when you're in these moments of trial, you need to listen to him, listen to his voice. This goes back to a promise from the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31, this idea of the word implanted. Jeremiah 31, the prophet says, this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. On their heart, I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, remember, we said last week, in this day and age, all we have, because we're not in the presence of Jesus fully yet, what we have is the down payment, the first fruits of the Spirit. But the Spirit is in our hearts to help us to hear God's voice and obey in a way that we could not before we knew Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, You show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit. Of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Isn't that beautiful? The Spirit of God has written the Word of God on our hearts. And so James says when you're in the midst of chaos, trial, difficulty, instead of always needing to blab and talk and verbally vomit, start to listen to the Word of God, both written in His book and written on your hearts. The Spirit, and He says that word that's implanted is able to save your souls, or literally to save your life. This is really important as you read throughout the Bible. This word that is translated soul here in James chapter 1, some of your translations might say to save his life or just to save him. That is because more often than not this this word which is uh, suke from where we get uh, psychology or psyche in english this word suke more often than not it doesn't refer to the immaterial part of you that goes to heaven when your body dies that's not what it usually refers to what it usually refers to is simply to you you're a soul i'm a soul you're a life i'm a life and remember james has already set up that the consequences of sin are death They can be spiritual death, but also can be physical death. And here's what he's saying. Again, remember, the life of obedience is the life that God blesses. The way of sin leads to death. The way of obedience leads to life and blessing from God. He'll reiterate this later in the book, James chapter 5. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him. That's how the NIV puts it. Or literally, again, save his soul, save his life from death and cover over a multitude of sins. We see the same principle with the same wording throughout the scripture. Ezekiel 18, if a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits sin, he will die for it. Because of the sin he has committed, he will die. But if a wicked man turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he will save his life, or literally save his soul. Again, in the book of Psalms, turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Literally, deliver my soul, deliver my life. Save me because of your unfailing love. No one remembers you when he is dead, right? There's a verse you can put above your mirror or something like that. No one remembers you when he is dead. Who praises you from the grave, right? What is James saying? He's saying, again, the life of obedience is the life that God blesses. If I want this life of blessing, again, harmony between me and God, better relationships with me and other people, a life that receives praise and honor from Jesus Christ. If I want that type of life rather than a life that leads to a premature death and all kinds of consequences, then I need to listen to the voice of God when I'm in trials and difficulties, but I need to listen at all times so that when those trials come, my heart and my spirit will be fortified against them by the living word of God. So he says, if you want this life of blessing, begin by listening to God's voice, his word, his people, his spirit. But he goes on and he says, it's not enough just to listen or receive the word. It's gonna say you also need to obey it. You have to do what it says. Follow with me, verse 22. He says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he is. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man, here it is, will be blessed in what he does. Okay, I love this imagery that James lays out for us. He goes, look, if you, if you listen to the scripture and you, you agree with it and you nod your head and you understand it, but you don't actually do it, you're like a guy, and, and by the way, I I know I'm treading on a little bit dangerous ground here, but, but literally the Greek word he uses is a, is a word that means a man, a guy. Right? He goes, you're like a guy who walks up to a mirror, and maybe how many of us men approach mirrors, you look at it and you walk away and you immediately go, I don't know what I look like. Right? And it doesn't really matter. You look at it and you go, hey, everything's great. I don't need to change anything. You don't spend all that much time. Most men don't spend all that much time in front of a mirror. When I read this, it immediately reminded me of something some of you will recognize. But it was this, okay? So uh, some of you will recognize this. This is the Fonz from Happy Days, that show that was on in the 1970s. But you remember, the Fonz was so cool that he would walk up to a mirror and he'd look at it and just go, Right? And then he'd walk away. And he was great. He didn't need to change anything about his appearance, about the way he looked. Right? This is the imagery that James gives us. He says, if you want God's blessing, you have to actually, you have to actually not only hear it, but you've got to obey. You've got to say, there are things in my life that actually need to, to change. Right? To change. Otherwise, you're just looking and you're not doing. You're just listening but you're not actually obeying God. Imagine for a minute that you go to the doctor this week and the doctor says, hey, your your cholesterol's a little bit high or your your blood sugar's a little bit of of a problem. I need you to dial back on the sugar and dial up the vegetables. And you say, all right, yes, you are correct. That is the way to life. I agree with you. Right, and so then you leave and on your way home, you stop by crumble cookies and you buy, you buy three boxes, right? I'm not saying this is an autobiographical illustration necessarily, <laughs> but maybe it is in your life, right? You've heard, you've received, you've agreed, you've nodded your head, but you didn't actually obey. You didn't put it into practice. What is going to happen in that scenario? You will not be blessed, right? Right? the cholesterol won't go down, the blood sugar won't go down, whatever it, whatever it may be, you have not acted in a way that will lead to the consequences that you long for that you want, which is blessing. That's all James is saying. You can't simply read it, hear it, and then ignore it. What he says instead is he says, hey, but the one who looks intently, looks really carefully, not like a man looks at the mirror, but looks really carefully at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by that, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. What does he mean when he says the perfect law, the law of liberty? What is the law of liberty? Well, I think this is related back to this idea of the word implanted within us, And James is hinting at a contrast that the Apostle Paul will bring up uh, when he writes his letters, and Paul will explain it much more fully. But the idea is, under the law of Moses, we had regulations, but not the empowerment to obey them. So we knew what we ought to do, but because the Spirit wasn't yet living inside of our hearts, we could not obey. We lacked the capacity. We lacked the ability. So we were imprisoned by this law that we could not fulfill. But now if you know Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God lives within you, you are free not to disobey, you are free to obey. This goes goes against the way that our world and our culture thinks about freedom. In our world, freedom is the freedom to disobey, right? It's the freedom to do whatever I feel like doing, no matter how harmful it is. The biblical perspective on that and James's perspective is actually what you call freedom is slavery because you can't get away from your sin and it's going to lead you to death. You're enslaved to sin and death and you may know what you should do, but you can't do it. But now, because you know Jesus Christ and the spirit lives within you, you have freedom to obey. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, for the law of the spirit of life In Christ Jesus, what has it done? Has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but how? According to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Or this is another way of saying the blessing of God on your life. He says, prior to knowing Jesus, you knew what to do. You just didn't have the power to do it. Now the Spirit of God has set you free from the law of sin and death and has given the capacity to obey and to know God in a way that you could not before. And so James says, don't just look at the mirror and walk away. Don't just read the word and go, "Mm mm-hmm, yes, mm, very good, and then walk away. But obey. Look intently at it. Allow it to to cut your heart open, as Hebrews says, to pierce to the division of soul and spirit and change you. And so you walk away and you say, I will obey. When I'm in the face of difficulties and trials, I'm going to remember that the life of obedience is the life that God blesses. And so I'm going to listen to what he says, what he tells me to do. And I'm going to obey and take the long view, even if in the short run, it seems to make no sense. Even if in the short run, it seems like my way is better. My solutions are superior to God's. I'm going to listen to God's voice and obey. And then James says, when we do that, you're going to listen to God's voice, obey God's word. We're going to long then to reflect his righteousness in the world in some very specific ways. And what, what we're gonna see is James is essentially gonna say, if you're hearing the word of God and you're obeying the word of God, then there are certain things that are going to be present in your life. And again, remember, this is really important. When we get to chapter two especially, this will be really important. James is not telling us here how to go to heaven when we die. He is assuming that his readers already know Jesus and have believed in Jesus for eternal life. James is saying now, how can we live a life, again, as Christians that leads to harmony with God, harmony with others, and praise from Jesus Christ when we meet him? How can we live a life in keeping with God's desires that fulfills God's purposes and meets with God's approval? And he says, if you're seeking to live that kind of a life of blessing, there are some things that we're gonna see in your life that will reflect the righteousness of God. He's gonna give us three, three things that we ought to see in the life that reflect the righteousness of God, just in these two verses. Follow with me, verse 26. First he says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Now, that verse should hit your heart. He says, hey, if you think you're religious, and he chooses this word religious, I think, very deliberately. He goes, look, if you think you're religious, you you go to church, you sing the songs, you read the Bible, you give money to the church. You are a religious person, but you can't keep control of your tongue or your computer keyboard when you're on Facebook. Here's what he says. Your religion is worthless. What does he mean? Well, it's that this, all of your singing and reading and giving, all these religious practices, they're not actually changing you, apparently. They're not doing any good in your heart and they're certainly not doing good in the lives of other people uh, with whom you wanna have some kind of influence or impact because your words, if they are perverse or untrue or unkind, that demonstrates that there's something in your heart that is amiss so that all of this reading, And singing, it's not not transforming you. Jesus says the same thing. And, And remember, James draws a lot on the wisdom of Jesus. Jesus says it this way. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and these defile the man. What I say reflects who I am. It's interesting, this, and this happens a lot, but this past week there was sort of a dust up on social media because there was a, a Christian leader, nobody particularly well known, but he had kind of an important position. He made some crude and perverse remarks on, on social media. And, and he, was, he was called to account for that by a number of other people who knew him, uh, who said, hey, that's not right. That's not becoming uh, of a servant of God, of a, of a believer in Jesus Christ. And his first response was this. He said, hey, you know what, I'm just, I'm just of a different generation. It's just a joke. It's not a big deal, right? Well, well James says it is, right? And then even as he apologized, he said, you know what, my, my social media feed, that doesn't actually represent who I am? Yeah, it does. It does. Jesus says so. What comes out of your mouth issues from your heart. Uh, Probably the reality is Jesus recognized we actually do put a filter quite often between our hearts and our mouths. So if something is coming out of our mouth that is sinful, the odds are good there's even darker things lurking in our hearts. I had a, a friend many years ago who struggled with uh, you know just he was he was sarcastic and cutting with his words uh, in, in in what he intended to be a joking way but he he hurt people with his words. And so uh, a pastor of ours uh, called him on the carpet for it and said, hey, the way that you speak is not okay. You're hurting people's feelings. You're damaging relationships. You need to get it under control. And he received it and he said, okay. But you know, later after that conversation, uh, privately he said to me, man, if only he knew the things that I choose not to say. Right? And that's it. That's what James is saying. If you say it, the odds are it's in there and probably something worse. And so James says one mark that we know demonstrates that we're hearing the word of God and obeying it is look at what comes out of my mouth or what I type on my keyboard in a moment of anger or stress or frustration. All right, he goes on then in verse 27. And he says, it's not just your speech. We want to look at verse 27. He says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So he gives us the other two marks of God's righteousness that we want to, to aim at as we listen to his voice. One is, he says, to visit orphans and widows in their distress distress. This is compassion. This is a heart of compassion that results in actions of compassion specifically toward those who have less than we have, those who have needs that we may not have. In the first century world, to be a widow was to be exceedingly vulnerable financially. To be an orphan, and it still is this way, was to be exceedingly vulnerable financially. You could end up on the street very, very easily. That is still true in our society, perhaps to a slightly lesser degree. But he says, the heart that is being transformed by the word of God is going to want to engage with and help those, especially we're going to see within the body of Christ who are struggling and who have needs. And notice, uh, this, this was convicting to me. I want, I want to point this out. He says, uh, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. In other words, it seems like James is saying, it's fine to give money. But giving money in and of itself, especially in their day and age, giving money in and of itself is often a religious practice where we can distance ourselves from the needs of those who have them. And so he says, what I'm calling you to do is actually to engage, to speak with orphans and widows, to learn about their lives, to learn their needs, to step into their worlds and seek to help in whatever way that you can with the resources that you have. So there's this compassion. Let me, let me say here at Grace, we do have some specific opportunities where, where you can engage with the lives of uh, not only widows and orphans, but with those who have needs. One is really simple. Uh, we have some men who have formed what is called our toolbox team. And this is a great opportunity, and often it it does tend to be uh, widows in the congregation, those who just need some help with some basic household projects. You don't have to be a professional contractor. Most of us are not. But can you turn a wrench or a screwdriver and do some basic things? Sometimes it's as simple as helping somebody change a light bulb, some things that you might take for granted that you can do very easily but that somebody else cannot do with as much ease. And so we've got a group of guys that said, hey, I've got a toolbox. I know basically how to use it and I want to step into the lives of those who have some needs and help them. Uh, Coming up, one of our um, one of our ministry partners, one of our local outreach partners, Hope Pregnancy Center, they also have an opportunity. It is a giving opportunity, but it also an opportunity to learn about what Hope Pregnancy Center does in the lives of uh, women and children and young men and families who are on the vulnerable end of our spectrum. They've got a, a barn dance that's coming up uh, this Friday uh, where you can go and you can, you can learn a bit about Hope Pregnancy's ministry and how you can engage. Um, so Friday, February 10th from 6.30 to 9.30. Um, I, I've uh, been on the board for Hope Pregnancy Center for about the last year and have loved learning about the ways that they step into these spaces where men and women and children are in need and seek to help. And so uh, I'd encourage you to consider either of those opportunities. If you're interested in some of these compassion opportunities, uh, you can scan this little QR code. I'm going to leave it up here for just a minute. It will take you to a form with all of our different service opportunities where you can sign up and somebody will contact you for ways that uh, you can get And so I I share that to say, here's what James is saying. Again, the life uh, of obedience that is being transformed by the word of God is a life where you are going to long to reach out and engage in compassion with those who have needs. Now, James goes on and he ends this section. He says, not only to visit orphans and widows in their distress, but also, he says, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is moral purity. This would be to say, I'm going to stay away from the greed and the sexual immorality and the lies about how I ought to live that are sinful, that, that float around in the air in our culture. He says, keep yourself unstained, pure and undefiled, unstained by the world. I find this, this uh, is an interesting juxtaposition. Because uh, in certain circles, people will say, you know, Christianity is all about helping the poor and the vulnerable. If you're not doing that, none of it matters. But then in other circles, people will say, no, 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 it's all about staying away from sexual sin or greed or all of these things. James says, uh, I'm going to kind of smack both of you in the face. It's both that the life that is being transformed by the word of God and the spirit of God, the life that is lived in harmony with God and with others is a life that says, I want to both look outward and meet the needs of those who have needs, but also look inward and ask, 'Is is my heart and is my speech being transformed by the word of God? So he says, this is the life that leads to blessing. To listen to God's voice, Obey God's word, reflect God's righteousness in the world. The life of obedience is the life that God blesses. Again, that doesn't deny the reality that trials and suffering exist. In fact, it it, it takes that into account, that even in the face of trials and suffering, we take the long view that God's way in the long run is the way that leads to blessing. Praise and honor and glory on the day we see Jesus Christ as well as blessing in this life. The life of obedience is the life that God blesses. And of course, we recognize that there, there is only one person in all of human history who lived a perfect life of obedience. And of course, that's Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so, so we recognize we can't earn eternal life by what we do, by our obedience. But instead, Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for our failure to obey, for our sin. And he rose from the dead so we can have eternal life.